Welcome to the Everything Sports Podcast with Jay Bandy, where we reveal the little-known secrets of superstar athletes as they leave their glamorous careers behind and return to everyday life. Listen to actionable business tips and life-changing insights from these sporting heroes as they share their epic journeys with you. Now, here's your host, the CEO of Everything Sports, Jay Bandy. Our guest today has almost 20 years experience playing cricket, several of those years representing Australia on the world stage, which has brought in a lot of publicity and media attention. In 2001, he made his debut for Australia in a one-day international match against the West Indies. He was awarded a Cricket Australia contract and also won the 2001 Bradman Young Cricketer of the Year Award. He made his test debut for Australia on the 4th of December 2003 against India as a replacement for Glenn McGrath. He finished with 174 one-day international wickets at an average of 24.36 and proved to be a vital member of the Australian one-day international side during his career. With a combination of accuracy, swing and cutters, this guest established himself as one of the most effective limited over bowlers in the world. On the 28th of January 2011, he announced his retirement from the game due to a chronic knee injury. Like most other sporting heroes, he had to eventually face transitioning from the glamorous public life, a sporting life, to everyday living. We're going to talk to him today about how he made that transition and overcame the inevitable challenges that every athlete faces at this time in their lives. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Nathan Bracken. Welcome, Nathan. How are you, mate? Good, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. That's the go. Mate, um, I didn't show in there that a uh, bit of a cameo appearance on Dancing with the Stars and a few other things since your retirement. But, uh, yeah, that was probably the highlight of my life, I think. Oh, <laughs> a bit of fun there. Uh, different and probably something, I think, as an athlete, you, you want to find a new challenge. And to me, realistically, probably two weeks into the training, I knew it just wasn't something I wanted to do and something I wanted to be involved in. Yeah. It's that competitive side that you just hang and I didn't get very far, thankfully. Yeah. But yeah, you just hang in as long as you can and and do what you can. You do the work and, and hope that you'll turn around and enjoy it at some stage. <laughs> it didn't seem to happen. Yeah, right. Eh? What, um, yeah, I might have got two left feet, to be honest, so I wouldn't have done any good either. So. <laughs> no, no feet the way I dance. <laughs> um, pretty good fitness. I hear from a couple of other guys that I've spoken to, so they said they got that fit in the, a few weeks that they did it. To me, it was it was just so regimented. Like you turn up, you train, you have lunch, and I'd have as soon as she was finished eating her lunch, that was it. Yeah, you're back out doing it. it. Didn't matter if you hadn't even got yours. Not we're going back to train. Like, <laughs> yeah, so it's probably a mixture of the fitness side. Of things, the fact that yeah, you're just not eating. And the thing is, I wasn't doing a lot, and then went back to doing something. Yeah. So that's that side of things where you go back to exercise and those and that sort of training schedule that, that all of a sudden, yeah, the, the fitness just goes with it. Yeah. How do you, how do you knee cope with it, actually? Yeah, not great. Not great? <laughs> <laughs> no. We'd probably spend the first, oh, realistically, two to three days working out what I could do with the knee and what I couldn't. Yeah, right. And then from there, it was then trying to structure a dance around that, which sort of, it makes it hard when you... You look, other people, well, my wife was doing it, and I know come probably the end of day two of a new dance, they, they pretty much could 
walk through the whole dance. Yeah. We hadn't even planned it. <laughs> we were still finding out what what would make me fall over and what would make me stand up. So, <laughs> uh, very good, mate. If you could share with our listeners why you think transitioning smoothly out of public life is so critical. I know we uh, obviously have cameos of the public life still with you know, Dancing with the Stars and some other stuff that you do, but as a general rule, you ain't got asphalt business and you're kind of out of the public life now, I, I guess. I think it's getting out of it. It doesn't, I don't think, everybody sits and talks about the how you've got to do it and what you've got to do. I think you've just, you've got to do it how you've got to do it. Like, I struggle going from doing what I was doing to to going back into in a normal, I guess we call normal existence, it was, it was all of a sudden that full structure was gone and and the training and the, and you knew well, I knew what I was doing for six months in advance. I knew what tours we had coming up, who we were playing, roughly what the dates were, what times you were going, and you know the structures and how everything else was set up. So to me, it was getting away from that. And and I think the biggest thing is. And, I think the biggest issue, everybody says, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got, you've got to do what's right for you. And I sort of found out doing it that you listen to so many people and all of a sudden you're making decisions that everybody else is telling you to make, not the decisions you need to make. Yep. No, that makes sense. Being true to yourself, that's pretty important. Yeah, that's probably the hardest thing because when, you, when you're in sport, you know it. You know, I used to know what I did. I knew it inside and out. But then you're coming into something you haven't done. I haven't dealt with with working, looking for a full-time job. And, and the thing was, so many people would go, oh, yeah, I can get your job. And then you put in your resume and you're like, oh, oh, I didn't realise you hadn't done anything since you were 19 years of age. <laughs> and you're like, well, no. And, and the thing is, I applied for two jobs where the CEOs rang and said, mate, I'd love to employ you, but I've got to pay you $35,000 more with no university degree in that subject, with no experience, to a 25-year-old that's got a university degree and four years of experience so yeah you can't and you can understand where they come from they're wanting to run a business and, and when you're in certain roles it, it can help probably one of my first jobs i got out when i got out of it all was was doing something where my profile helped yeah uh, but then there's other jobs where you feel you're suited for it but your profile doesn't doesn't help it probably makes it harder to do the job you want to do yeah definitely just with transitioning i don't know uh, cricket australia and we play for a little bit for new south wales as well like when i was playing in the nrl like i believe if i had a you know a business course or a uni a uni degree or something like running alongside the nrl career it would have made the transition a hell of a lot smoother but uh, i was only young and it finished pretty sudden like yeah that was 17 years ago now like as cricket australia doing some stuff with the cricketers now whereby they're doing stuff like that or and were they doing it back when you uh, were playing as well or what's happening there yeah it was it was there but the big thing when i was sort of coming through there's nothing set up for the australian setup when i was playing it was all through your state yeah and i remember going nine months and and literally not being at new south Wales creek not seeing the, the only time i saw it was when i was playing for Australia, and that was yeah, right. on the back of a heavy schedule and and all of a sudden you don't see it and then you get there and then you're on restricted training like the guys are training four or five days a week and i've just come off nine months solid you you come in and you'll you'll spend three or four weeks where you you're not doing the two-a-day sessions if they're doing a two-a-day session it's a one day you're in there once or there's days where i say i'll have a break yeah so you're not getting in there and you're not dealing with that environment all the time and I know that when I started, we had 
I think it was Tony Lewis was one of the guys we had there, and then his replacement that came and followed him, I, I never met them. Yeah. And they were there for about 12 months, and then they moved on to another position. But I never sort of met them because it, it just coincided with when they came in and when they left was was times that we had a busy schedule. So you're away and you're not, you're not there and you're not available. Yeah, for sure. So Australia, as such, doesn't have a program to help cricketers transition after a, no, a cricketer it's, career. It's, it's all through the... And you find the same with the NRL. It's all through the... A lot of it's driven through the Players Association. They're the ones that want to... That are pushing, that have the players' interests at heart. Yeah. Um, and to me, yeah, that's sort of where it's at. And see, so the thing is, it's... It's hard. Cricket's probably in a very tough position at the moment where the majority of the revenue for the players association come from directly from the governing body. So yeah. all of a sudden, your, your governing bodies, who's providing the money, they're telling them how to spend it. And a lot of the focus when I was there was making sure your rookies had something. A lot we were trying to compete and probably specifically in sort of WA, South Australia, Victoria, you're competing with your AFL market. Yeah. Um, and it was probably for cricket, it's, and you see it around the world, all the sides that have good fast bowlers usually have a good structure yeah. um, and a good and a good side. And that's the biggest thing. It's the hardest thing to find is is good fast bowlers. And, and that was a big thing we found that a lot of the states, were, and WA in particular, a lot of the guys get fucked up by AFL, and that's where the, sort of the rookie contracts came in. Then there was all that investment chucked in to make sure they're doing degrees, they're doing all these things to to get themselves in a position, I guess, when if they get the opportunity to play, great. Yeah. If they miss out, then they've got something behind them. Because these guys you're plucking at eight years of age straight out of school where they'd probably be at uni. Yeah, that's right. I know a uh, good mate of mine, Jeff Robson, played a lot of NRL for the Sharkies, Parramatta. Yep. He was a gun cricketer, played for New South Wales and all that, and he ended up yeah, obviously going towards the NRL route because uh, there was more money early, I think, and uh, a bit of a career path where you could see he could get a bit further out of sport, I guess. Not as well, competitive. The thing is, when you have a look at it too, and like, even now, you're looking, your top New South Wales cricketers, okay, they get good money now, but it's still not the same as your, as your top NRL boys. Yeah. Okay, your international cricketers are, but you have a look when you look around the NRL now, you probably look realistically most clubs have four players that are on real big money. Yeah. And then probably six to eight that are on pretty good money. Yeah. And then you drop down to making up the rest and some of the other clubs have a fair few. They might have a larger amount on that sort of middle tier. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's probably more money in it. I know I played with a couple of boys that are, are sort of ran around playing rugby league at a first grade level for a little while and then sort of went back to a job in cricket just because of their body but it was literally hey at that stage cricket gave you nothing really yeah, yeah. I know so, uh, on the uh, on the flip side uh, mate of mine Dan Christian who play, he went to St Greg's really good rag, yeah. rugby league player he went the uh, cricketing route and he's he's done really well with it hasn't played for Australia oh he's played for Australia in 2020 I'm pretty sure you, yeah you know, so now we've got the IPL we've got those things that give you that that opportunity and the cash injection yeah, and that's that's a big thing. And, and like in India, it's for a lot of the younger. I was just watching it on TV before, and a lot of the younger blokes, it's they were talking about it. It changes their life. Yeah, for you sure. Need to get that opportunity. Massive, uh, a massive opportunity. The next 
question just on describing the transitioning for yourself like how was the transition for you some of the things you had to go through you've mentioned a couple of them already you know going back into everyday life but what was it like for Nathan Bracken when it went through you you gloss over things and you I don't know whether you because you've, you've come from something you did so easy and became so comfortable like to me even now I go through days where it's I want that same challenge you want the same rush that you used to get and like how do you compete with running out of the SCG in front of 45,000 people <laughs> so not sure 45,000 people that turn up to watch me quite a job somewhere or <laughs> <laughs> or to do the accounts or to, to update something on a, on a website. So that's, a, that's the thing when you look at it. It's, it's a total game changer and you, you miss it. And I can understand why people go through situations. Did I, I went through depression and things like that when I finished because you, you want that rush and you just can't find it. Yeah. So I don't think the biggest thing for me was having a strong family unit that sort of really dug in and helped. Yeah. It's moving forward from there and it's, it's taking the baby steps. It's giving yourself the opportunity. It's almost like you're you're redoing your career again. Yeah. Like some people are lucky enough, they walk into a really good job and, and it's been lined up. But to me, my plan was we'd started the process. Yeah. Um, I'd started a university degree in um, communications yep. and it was a process. We had it mapped out. We were going through that process. We're getting some courses done. Then all of a sudden, the knee started playing up, then got worse and worse and worse. And all of a sudden, it was done. Yeah. And Realistically, I would have hoped for probably three, three to four more years. Yeah. Probably two to three with Australia, and and then sort of started to look at all those international competitions because obviously the IPL had just started. There was stuff in Sri Lanka, England, all those sort of things. So that was sort of using those opportunities to continue to study and and map it out. But all of a sudden, things change, and you, you don't get those chances. Yeah. So your career was cut short due to the knee, or could you have played on in the shorter form of the game, like the IPL and no, yeah, I, I struggled. I struggled well. Yeah. So, like, even now, I'll, I'll go and play a, a charity game once or twice a year, and nine times out of ten, I'll have a little hamstring strain by the end of it. So, yeah, right. Eh? So I just can't. I can't straighten it anymore. The body packed it in. Yeah. And what were the biggest challenges that you faced with the transition? You said finding a job initially, interviews and stuff like that. What was the biggest one for you? Um, if you could pick one. Finding the opportunities. People want to help. But then so many people would say, oh, once this is done or once you've got this sorted, we'll help you out. And it was almost like that just kept continuing. Yep. I think people have the willingness and the thoughts, and it probably wasn't until I did the stuff with the ABC about it, the transition and all those sort of things that all of a sudden I had phone calls, I had people on social media sending me messages. And that's the thing, when an athlete walks away, it was literally since I've retired, I haven't heard from either New South Wales cricket or Cricket Australia. That's um, crazy, eh? And the thing, well, the last contract I ran out was with, was with New South Wales Cricket. Yeah. And then even to the point when, when I retired from the game, that was it. It was sort of, there was no, I didn't even get a chance to catch up with any of the guys for a drink at the end of it. It was literally, oh, you retired, see you later, off you go. Yeah. And, and yeah, and then I've had some dealings with the ACA. Yeah. But it's sort of, you fit into a pigeonhole where they think, oh, you played in that cricket, you'll be fine. Yeah. But then I was only playing one form of the game. Yeah. And that sort of, like, our contracts were based off, off test cricket and one-day cricket. Yeah. And test cricket was weighted heavier than what one-day cricket was. So all of a sudden, to me, if I'm ranked five, I'm probably ranking in the contract-wise probably 15th or 16th yep. in that list. Yeah. So, and then you're sitting there and, and you're in those positions where it's just not where it sits. It's not 
all forms of the game. And when you play all forms of the game, it, it's a big change because all of a sudden you're running sort of top five, top six contracts, maybe top ten. Yeah. But you're getting payments from both sides of the game. Whereas I'd, I'd go and play in a national tournament, and if we had three months off, I'd get a contract payment only. Whereas your test boys are away on a national tour, they get paid for the Ashes tour. Yeah. I don't get paid until the one day stuff sort of comes in as, a, as match payments, and that's unlike a lot of sports at that stage, that's where a lot of our our money is earned is through your match payments, not your, your fixed contracts, which have now come in. So that's sort of been corrected. But I was in the stage where it was, you had to play. You weren't playing, you're not. You're not getting paid above the contract. Yeah, yeah, right. So the match payments were the, the cream, I guess. Yeah, like you had, you had your base, which is which is always nice. You knew what you had, but then that's the thing that just sort of tops everything to where where you want it to be, and and that's the biggest thing. It's it's count when you come out of that and, and just getting into the position to, and also like you look at what you want to do and where you want to be, and that's probably a hard decision to make as well because often when you retire, if it's not plans you're literally rushing to just get what you can and yeah that's right start to provide yeah no definitely could you add only your wife didn't have any kids at that stage no i had one and oh, about a year and a half after i had the second one so yeah right so it's pretty quick in case but you had yeah, uh, yeah obviously uh, you said they're a strong family unit so it's good you had that there to support you through that stage because yeah. a, a lot of my mates are kind of young and single 21 22 23 finishing up and retiring which was really tough for them to actually find themselves and find which what they want to do, but I mean, on a positive, it's good to have that family, strong family unit. So that's something I picked out from what you said there before. So that was great. But like you were saying there before as well, you haven't had, haven't heard from Cricket Australia or Cricket New South Wales for I don't know, how many years that been now? So eight, seven, eight, seven years. It's one of my big bugbears with a professional sport. There's so many young guys coming through that. Yeah, they move on to the next, and it's up until I think I finished in end of two thousand and two with the bunnies, and uh, I think it was two thousand and sixteen before I got a call from any club, any say Andy Ryan's a good mate of mine, played with him at Parramatta, and he's uh, on the player welfare and heading up kind of a bit of the old boy stuff, and contacted me in two thousand and sixteen, um, and asked me, you know, do I need a hand with anything? How's thing, how things going? What are you up to? Do you need to do any courses? I said, mate, like, if you had called me 14, 15 years ago, I would have thrown my hand up and said, yeah, come and help me. But 16 years down the track, I'm, I'm pretty good, you know. But for me, it was about five years before I really found myself and confident in myself. You know, I lost a lot of self-worth and confidence and felt a bit hopeless for those first couple of years without the NRL and without the mates around you and the camaraderie and do you want to go play some golf or do you want to go and grab a feed? There's always a group of mates you can go and do that with, but... In the real life, it's just you and yourself and, you know, as you said, your family or you haven't got yeah. that group of mates that you can go and have a hit of girlfriend. That's the thing. You Probably one thing you, you do sort of get when you come out of it all is you find out who your, your mates' mates are, not your mates because you played together, but the actual ones that, that actually took a, a personal interest or a personal care in you as a person yeah. besides you as a player. And I think that's a big thing and it's... It's difficult when all of a sudden you have blokes you'd see for nine months a year, ten months a year, and, and all of a sudden now you you don't hear anything because you're not turning up the training anymore or you're not doing those things. They're just like, oh, well, next one. Yeah, that's right. I guess it's a mentality. It's probably keeping themselves isolated from what's going on. Yeah. I did a, a commentary scene you know, over in the Caribbean, and, and I was probably better received by the West Indian players than I was the Australian players being there. Yeah, right. Because it's sort of like, oh, hang on, and they, they don't know how to deal with you. Yeah. 
Whereas the West Indian guys, it was just it was the same as if I was playing. They saw it as no difference. Yeah. Because they, I guess when you look at their their environment, they've got guys in and out all the time. They've got guys playing short form cricket, guys not playing this, not playing that, and and then all the disputes they had them might have made it a little bit better. But yeah, it was I found them a lot easier to deal with than than catching up with the guys that I play cricket with. Yeah, right. Yeah, interesting. Was there any books or events or movies or any courses that you did that had the greatest positive impact on your transition and if so why i'll be honest with that it's, it was probably Haley, my wife yeah and it was just dealing with her and and all of us because she'd seen everything and we'd been together for quite a while since sort of 2003 so she'd seen right through and then it sort of got to the end and she was just like literally hey well, hang on you've got two choices and and she knew ways to push my buttons about things yeah so if all of a sudden you're, you're umming and ahhing about something and she'd know it's the right thing to do or go and do a course and I enrolled and, and did a um, occupational health and safety course, did training courses, I've done a couple of dietitian courses out of the UK and, and those sort of things and looked to continue to do them. Yep. But it was sort of her pushing saying, well, let's get something behind you besides 12 months, 18 months of university stuff that okay, you've got a couple of pieces of paper to say you've finished things, but you haven't got that degree, so let's get other bits and pieces behind and, and just do those sort of things through. Yeah, cool. So a bit of a mentor, a mentor and your wife, really. A lot of the other guys that I've interviewed to date have said that they had a bit of a mentor or someone they bounced things off, and, and you had that in your wife, which is pretty awesome. Oh, I'll be honest, I had good and bad times, but sometimes it was <laughs> great and it was, it was well-received, and other times it was like, pull your head in and go and do it. So, <laughs> That's probably the, the bad bit, the mentor bit, they're always nice to you. But it, it put things in perspective and she sort of took the approach and whether I loved it or hated it, it was more about the fact that to me, I'd sort of been stuck in having people tell you, oh yeah, that's right, that's great, this is this, this is that, when sometimes it wasn't always the best thing. Yeah. And she just didn't care. She called it how it was and whether it was something I wanted to hear or something I didn't, I had no choice, I had to hear it. Yeah. No, that's true. I'll, uh, episode one, Jason Beath talks about a lot of people when you're an NRL player or in that scene, they, a lot of people tell you what you want to hear, so um, yeah, just what you're saying. That's, you know? <laughs> that's how it is because when you're good, everybody wants to know you. When you're not, nobody cares. That's it. That's plain and simple. And I definitely, with uh, when I retired, I actually went and did a, someone told me to go and do an Anthony Robbins course. So in 2003, I went and did this Unleash the Power Within with Anthony Robbins and Yep. Funny, I ran into a mate of mine, Daniel Irvine, who's played at South yep. and at Power, and he is doing the course, and he was struggling with the same things that I was struggling with. We kind of made it up and got through things together there. So that was, yeah, for me, I think getting some perspective. I didn't have a wife or a, a bit of a mentor at that stage to help me through that. So it gave me a big, big uh, change in mindset, I suppose. And then I went and got the job that with the sports clothing and kind of got me in that route down that kind of career path which is really good and so the biggest thing is and it's finding what you want to do yeah and that's not even now i still sit there and it's still that constant discussion in my head of what do you really want to do yeah and you sit there and you're like oh, i'd love to do this. oh no i don't really want to do that <laughs> no nah, probably not that either you've got to get away from thinking how can i replace what i used to do yeah you can't it's you've got to get away from that and just trying to get into what can you do now yeah that's right so just a little recap there. So actually, we haven't mentioned it, but you're doing a bit of coaching in the cricket scene now with East. You're running a couple of the 
everything sports. <laughs> Done a few uh, little academy things there for me, which is really appreciated, Nathan. And yeah, so East, you had a pretty so-so year there at East. This year, you were saying you uh, finished a bit shorter where you wanted to. And Yeah, well, I think for me, the hard thing, I sort of did bowling coaching down there, and yep. it's, you see the talent. Like we do, we've got probably four or five state blokes within the club, yep. state contracted players within the club. But the biggest thing is it's like the guys do it because they want to play cricket. Yep. And I know it's hard and I sort of see it from both sides and coming out of doing what I did sort of coming back to the real world, you sit there and you think, Well, guys are playing first grade cricket, it's not the same as first grade rugby league. Yeah. Like they play on a weekend, they don't get paid, or most of them don't get paid and those sort of things. So all of a sudden if if work leans on you and says, Mate, you need to work a couple of extra hours or we need you back on Tuesday you can't just pack up and walk away. Yeah. And that was the sort of thing there. And I think we struggle with it a little bit through the season. And you have times a year, like certain guys working in certain industries coming into Christmas where there's a shutdown or they're not they're not back for a while. So yeah. they're working longer hours. So we sort of tend to slip away a little bit from where we wanted to be leading into Christmas and then coming out and then towards the end of the season. When you probably, we needed a few results to go our way. Blokes just then start to drop off. But you can see why they do it because... It might be work pressures, it might be things outside. But yeah, like there's a lot of positives to take out. Obviously, we set a high standard. Uh, we want to be semi-finals every year in all grades. And when you miss out, you're a bit disappointed. But on the positive side of things, a lot of guys went up the grades, performed well. We had a lot of injuries and guys stepped up and, and did the job. So you can't complain about that. It's just getting that consistency and, and player through. But it's, hey, it's the same struggle every sporting team has depending if it's on a on a salary cap of a zero or it's a salary cap of whatever the New York Yankees pay. It's getting that consistency every game. Yeah, right. East Cricket, they haven't got the same salary cap sombrero as the uh, Sydney Roosters. No, we're up. <laughs> yeah, we, we've probably got the same salary cap as probably, oh no, not even one of the runners, I don't think. <laughs> probably less than that. Yeah, right. No, I think it's a good setup. We aim to give the guys the best they can, give them the best opportunity. And obviously, like, through the coaching ranks, like, I deal with the club there, we've got Michael Bevins involved as well, Greg oh, uh, Matthews, and then through the coaching staff, you've got head coaches, who's a long-time first-grade cricketer, and a very good first-grade cricketer at that. Ben Sawyer does some bowling stuff. He's, he's involved with the um, with the New South Wales women's setup. Mark Patterson's been involved with stuff through Cricket New South Wales and yep. played for New South Wales. He's well, so it's just trying to give the guys the best opportunities we can. Yeah, very good. But hey, if they can make something out of it, they can. If they can't, they can't. Yeah. But at least they know they've been given the best chance to, to have that crack. Oh, very good. A couple of uh, Jimmy Smith down there and uh, Wayne Geaver. Yeah, Cut. they get there occasionally. <laughs> they get there occasionally. So not, not very much anymore. They, they turn their back on us. You know that loyalty thing. <laughs> Salary caps came in. <laughs> just for our listeners out there, just a bit of a takeaway. The structure and the regiment was gone from your the playing days to transition, which made it a little bit difficult. You didn't have that structure and uh, regimental schedule. Cricket Australia wasn't really set up for helping players transition. It was more state-based, and you were away more with the Australia side than the state, so that probably made it a little bit more difficult for you as well there. But you're lucky enough to have a, a pretty strong family unit, and you are doing some other stuff like unit degree in communications, there's some coaching. So you've continued with your coaching. You obviously enjoy the coaching side of things. It keeps you in the game, I guess, the, the coaching. Yeah, well, I stepped away from it for a while and stuff with Sean Brown, but that was about it. Yep. But sort of now I started to get back into doing it. And it was probably through East. The vice president rang up and said, mate, we want you to come and do some stuff. I sort of went through all the, 
all the issues concerns I had. He went to the club and the first training session, I was welcome back like I was playing there again. So I spent probably the last eight years of my career there and it was back like I was a player again. Oh, cool. And it was just not in anything other than just how you receive the players were open, they discuss, they talk to you, they treat you. It's not like you're a coach, it's like you're part of the, the setup and I think that's the advantage we do have is keeping that setup very much friendly, open, easy to discuss, not trying to close it off. But I think when you look at the transition coming out, it's the thing I found, I was a 31-year-old former athlete basically coming out and competing pretty much in marketplace with 18-year-old kids. It was learnt like when you're 18, 19, 20 and you start working, you start learning the structures, you start learning how how the businesses operate and all those sort of things. I came out, I'm 31, yeah. yeah, you can sit there and go, I've got an idea on how, I know how a business works, I know what they do, but yeah. when you get into the nuts and bolts of it, you sit there and go, oh, geez, I didn't realise you did that or I didn't understand this bit. Yeah. Because you don't see it. Yeah. And like, you can see it the same way, you, you sit out of it to an extent. You're there, but you're not heavily involved in it, so you don't see the day-to-day things. You just see all the, the glamorous things and all the all the unglamorous things of pre-season and the, the hard yards. You see those two bits, but you don't see everything that goes into getting all the gear available, getting you to locations you need to be, all those things. You don't see it. And working for the father-in-law, I've had the opportunity and learned very quickly about business and how how those things happen and even to this day, I'm still learning bits and pieces that guys probably 10 years younger than me learned five years before I did. Yeah. So the biggest thing is you got to swallow your pride as well. Yeah. yeah. You're, no longer, you're no longer the big fish. Yeah. You're, you're now that little fish back in the pond trying to get that food when it gets thrown in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, mate. That's uh, so true. I know um, similar for me. Like, I, I guess I finished early, so it's a little bit different for me. I started all that you're just talking about learning in business, all that from you know, 22, 23, so yeah, a lot of my mates that finished around that time, they, they had a decision to make whether to continue playing rugby league and earning you know, 20, 30, $50,000 a year, struggling away, trying to make it, playing the odd NRL game or finishing going get a job and a couple of years time have a bit of a career or keep battling away for another four or five years and then hopefully crack it and if you don't crack it in five years, you're back to where you were five years ago earning you know 40 50 grand a year but it's, yeah. it's that thing you know like it's uh, chasing the dream and i suppose we all you would have dreamt it from a young age playing for australia i dreamt playing nrl and got lucky enough to get to do it and that's all all you think about that's all you up until that point that's all you do so so that's but that's what once you start and once you get into the setup, that's what you push to to do. Everything's focused to that and it's where it becomes. It's not all of a sudden it's no longer realistically discussion points. You you're literally funneled into that bubble yeah. that you're living in. Let's be honest, we've both been there. It's it's not reality. Yeah. It's not it's not the real world you're living in. No. Who else in the real world can, can train twice a day, have experts, oh, we're struggling with this, oh, we'll just bring in an expert to help with this or yeah. bring somebody that can help with this. And all of a sudden, when you're doing it, you're like, oh, if I've got a problem, I'll, I'll just fix it. Yeah. You go and tell them, hey, I'm struggling with this or like to me, oh, I can't quite get this right. Oh, okay, who do you want to help? How can we help? What can we do? Have a look at footage. Everything's there at your disposal. They're done for you. Then when you go out to the real world, 
oh, geez, I'm struggling with this. Oh, hang on, I can't go and get somebody with this. The big thing is, too, you pay somebody to mentor you or you pay somebody else where you're not paying when you play. Yeah, that's right. And that's your biggest thing. You All of a sudden, you go, oh, I'll just get somebody to mentor me, and you walk up and he sends you the bill, and you're like, oh, hang on. And you start to then not realise the extent of things. Like, oh, no, physio, I, when I finished playing, I went and got some physio on my, on my knee, and my back was getting a bit stiff from my knee, and I went and got physio, and I paid the bill, and I went, I said to her, I said, is that how much physiotherapy stuff is? And it wasn't being naive, but I hadn't been outside the setup for quite a while. And even sort of at the back end of my career when I used another physio, all it was was I'd swap my private health insurance card and, and New South Wales cricket would fix a gap. I wouldn't see them. Yeah, that's right. That's and it's just those little things that you, you just take for granted. And I know it sounds like you, you've been a bit stuck up and arrogant about it, but that was just how it was yeah. and whether that, locked you in as a better player or locked you into that system better but everything was done for a reason and yeah. hey, clubs get a lot of money and that's every sporting club they they want as much as they can they want as much success and I know you would have seen through your career different coaches different techniques and some get results some don't some clash with players some don't and they're pretty switched on on how they can get the most out of their players yeah no definitely and organisations the way they're run and you see over the your career you had different CEOs different leaders how they operate differently and uh, some are successful some are not due to how they operate uh, you know integrity and core values all that kind of stuff comes into it which I've learned over the last few years and which I'm building everything sports on you know yeah it's all learning I learn something new every day which is good even talking to you today a bit about Nathan Bracken and, and how you got through things. So I really appreciate your uh, giving a short perspective on how it was for an Australian cricketer to transition. Um, just one last thing, like how do our listeners find out more about yourself and is there anything else you'd like to say before I would say goodbye? Yeah, well, coach, you're at a website, nathanbracken.com. I spent my life in the public eye since I was sort of 18 years of age. Yep. And it's sort of like even with everything that you go through that without the public support uh, I wouldn't have been able to make a living out of it yep. because it's a public that, that really pays your bills it's a public that gets you your income yep. and to me it's, it's made me I guess stepping out of sport and, and coming back and doing things you take the hat off to some people it's, it's not the people that are out there always only in the millions of dollars but it's the guys and girls that go out and do the jobs and do the best they can every day in what I've done, I've seen some people that have got some amazing skills and then I've seen people that have got amazing talent that just don't do anything. And you look, <laughs> it's amazing how much business is the same as sport yeah. but how different both are perceived. Yeah. I think sport is a business. It needs to be treated a bit more like a business but with the opportunity to move an athlete from the sports business to the business business and that's how it needs to be done because you get those relationships all of a sudden the sponsor that the sponsors a club and picks up three or four of the players the players get on really well and all of a sudden it makes them want to stay involved yeah no definitely if you're not getting that relationship with the players and support and the staff and everything outside the game with the fans then all of a sudden that transition is totally different yeah and you feel lost and and struggling to find where to go yeah definitely no, for sure, mate. That's a good point you make there. Well, mate, yeah, really appreciate your time, Nathan, and uh, thanks for uh, your chat. I'd love to have you on again in the future. Mate, any time. We'll, we'll sort it a bit quicker this time, mate, shall we? <laughs> All good, mate. No, thanks for that, mate. Good on you, Nathan. Uh-huh.
Thank you for listening to the Everything Sports Podcast, the podcast which consistently provides actionable business tips and life-changing insights from high-performance athletes. You can access all the information related to this episode via the show notes at www.everythingsports.com slash podcast. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Jay will answer in upcoming episodes. How can Jay help you today?